Welcome to So Many Bits. I'm your host, Bill Nielsen, and joining me once again from this palatial VoIP line in the middle of the internet is Brandon Shockney. Brandon, how are you? Hey, Bill. I'm good. I'm hanging in there. You know, we're, we're in the midst of some crazy times, but uh, I'm so glad we were able to connect and still do this. This is definitely a, a highlight of my day. So thank you for having me. Me too. Thank you. And I'm glad to have you as well. I, I'm flattered to know that I am the highlight of anyone's day. That was my uh, aspirational occupation in my high school uh, yearbook, being the highlight of anyone's day. Oh, wow. Well, you know what? I don't I don't mean to burst your bubble. It is only 11 a.m. here, so there's a lot of day left. Uh, I want to say that you're the highlights. I should have clarified. You're the highlight parentheses so far, end parentheses. But you know what? I think your chances of being the highlight throughout the rest of the day are still pretty good. Well, I mean, all I can say is I hope to be like a Pat Summit and not a Pat Buchanan. <laughs> hey, there you go. Those are two references, folks. Two references right there. Two. Try to keep up, folks. Double the oh, references. Boy. Brandon, later on in this episode, I'm going to be talking to Jordi Asensio. Jordi is a game designer over at .emu, and we went deep talking about Windjammers 2. I know you and I played a little bit of the original Windjammers, uh, the port of it, on the PS4, you know, at my apartment, and they're uh, they're coming out with a sequel. Oh, cool. But first, you and I have to do some screen watching. I was outside watching some dear frolic. You don't even care about the outside, do you? Ooh, yes we do. Uh, and this is a very uh, interesting one, I think, for us to talk about, because it involves a pretty new i was about to say brand new but it's not brand new a pretty new streaming service that's right yeah this is a i think the sheen has worn off enough that it degrades from brand to pretty uh but yeah (laughs) uh, apple tv has just recently launched and today we will be talking about mythic quest raven's banquet From the creators or the the a few of the people involved in It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, I know Rob uh, Michelhaney is like the lead in uh, this show, but I think Charlie Day also has a hand. Yeah, that's right. It looks like they're both involved in this, and uh, yeah, Rob is uh, front and center as one of the leads on the project. Charlie may show up. I mean, I would be surprised if you have a comedic talent like Charlie Day at the ready and you don't use him but yeah it didn't show up in the episode we watched which was episode one appropriately titled pilot mm-hmm. original air date february 7th 2020 now bill i know we've we've talked a little bit about this show um off mic already so i know i i feel like our our thoughts are pretty similar on how um we both came around on this um this pilot which is uh there's some positives uh, there's some negatives. It's kind of a, it, it does some things really well, but um, maybe some of the more important things it's not so um, great at, at least out of the gate. I am inclined to agree. I think this is the 
one of the uh, least pandering and least like condescending shows I've ever seen about like making a video game and like what that would involve. And clearly they've put a lot of effort and thought into how this actually is supposed to be. Like they've done their research. They are making uh, like side references to real gaming websites like Polygon. And I think they've got the whole idea there, but the somewhere along the way, maybe they just got a little bit in too deep and I, I didn't find this show very funny. Yeah, you know what? It, it, uh, the more I've thought about it, the more I think that like I, I admire the pilot, but I don't really like the show. <laughs> it was like a weird combo, right? So I, I guess we should start at the beginning with like what the show uh, is about or what it involves. Mythic Quest Raven's Banquet uh, is about this team behind a smash hit MMORPG called Mythic Quest. And the pilot joins the team as they are about to launch their first expansion titled Raven's Banquet. And we're uh, getting to see the kind of like the like the leads from the different departments who have worked on the game and them interacting. And for the pilots specifically, they're all coming together to decide on the fate of this one new feature they want to add, which is the option to to dig, just to have a shovel in the game. Right. It's very uh, it's very like Animal Crossing, right, where the shovel will allow you to, um, yeah, like maybe uh, interact with the terrain and get to some new areas. It's it's a pretty supposed to initially out of the gate be a pretty basic uh, tool um, that um, would allow you know, a lot of customization within the game itself, but it's not the most flashy of features. Yes, yeah. And then there's a few different points of view on how to implement the feature. So there's, first there's Poppy played by uh, Charlotte McDowell, and she just thinks that it should be in there because being able to remodel the terrain in real time is pretty cool and like a technical feat. Then there's Ian played by Rob McElhenney, who's like, kind of the the auteur of the whole project and he thinks you should be able to use the shovel as a weapon to like decapitate people and like attack them and then we see a little bit of uh, brad played by uh, danny pudi who thinks that it should be kind of like a a way to work uh loot boxes and microtransactions into the game and, and i think i think out of initially when you when you when you pitch it that way it sounds like a great setup for a pilot right it's a um, like a specific thing within this game, uh, everything can already feel a little bit lived in, right? So um, we're kind of just, the audience is kind of just getting plopped into the middle of this latest feature or debate uh, that's going on between the characters. But uh, but but I think where the setup is nice, I think I think it's all the execution around around this is uh, where it kind of falls flat, right? So I, I think my main sticking points here, were that there were almost too many characters presented to me. Um, and that, that makes me sound old, I feel like, where I'm like, there's too many characters. What, who, who, who am I supposed to be paying attention to? What's going on? But uh, that, that's how I felt. You know, I, I, uh, I only really locked into Poppy, who I think you're supposed to kind of lock into as... Um, I think you're right, yeah. As the, the character that's... Oh, she's the only reasonable one, and everyone around her is kind of, you know, uh, 
uh, crazy and she's got to keep the peace type thing, which doesn't initially seem like the most fun type of character to play, right? I'm uh, because... shocked that they would have a female lead act as like the mother to all the other characters. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Uh, it's it's uh, it's a little bit uh, not as not as interesting as I as I think uh, they, they think that is. Um, and I also think uh, Ian uh, is presented as as a pretty unlikable character almost immediately right so the whole joke at the very top of the the cold open is like this this fake mockumentary or this like documentary uh uh, video that is talking about mythic quest i mean it does a nice uh it's a solid way to kind of like present and establish what the what the show is right that was Um, good yeah that part was good but but um but it i think the the negative part of it is that it, it presents ian as a total like conceited buffoon right out of the gate right and then we kind of get that sense from him um for the rest of the episode until a scene you know in the in the third act and i i think i think uh, i i like that scene that's where i kind of locked into uh the show a little bit but uh, all the comedy after that cold open where we're kind of like being introduced to characters. There's a few uh, jokes, uh, mainly within dialogue, but we're kind of glossing over everyone, right? It's, it's like the show is is almost going too quickly that it can't settle on any particular um, set of characters or dynamic, right? There's like a romantic subplot that's thrown at us um, really briefly and then... Uh, uh, you know, I, I assume will be fleshed out in future episodes of the show, but it, it's something like that where it's like, oh, is that what's going to ground me in this episode? This like romantic, like, uh, you know, that that was such a thing to compare it to like The Office, right? Where the Jim and Pam dynamic is really what grounds you with the rest of everything else that's going on. I didn't get a sense of that in this show. Like who, what's, what's going to be the bigger through line that's gonna carry us through the rest of the the series is it ian kind of uh uh, becoming more of a human right or is it is it poppy kind of uh branching out and getting getting into a more like leadership position in the in the company like i i couldn't focus in on what what's what's the uh thesis of this show uh, beyond like oh it's going to be kind of crazy antics regarding this game maybe if they had just focused in on the kind of conflict between ian and poppy they would have been better served like fleshing that out more i i get what they were going for and trying to sprinkle in other characters and kind of like take a break from the the central plot but then everything got spread a little bit too thin whereas you probably could have gotten by with just kind of some breadcrumbs to introduce the different characters and then like flesh them out more. Like take David, for example, David is kind of like, I think within the the structure of the fictional company, he is the actual like leader. He, I think they said he was the CEO or the CFO. So he is the one really calling the shots and they were doing like a tug of war, Ian and Poppy are of like, listen to me, David, no, listen to me. And you maybe could have hinted at the fact that he was kind of an ineffective leader more subtly where it's like i'm just hypothetically imagining a scene where he's kind of waffling or he's like his body language isn't very strong and he's lacking in confidence visually 
rather than what they ended up doing is they had several scenes of him like going into HR and talking about how no one respects him and like working on his managerial tactics. And then kind of the scene that woke me up and is like, huh, what is this feels a little off is like they had the HR woman get everyone in a room so they could like explain their wants and like what they needed to happen in this episode. Usually, and uh, I feel like I, I reference improv a lot because it's one of my main frames of reference. Like you do that in an improv show when everyone's a little disorganized and it's like, okay, we all need to get on the same page here. Make sure we all know what's going on. So we're going to pretend to have a scene where we're in a boardroom and we have a boardroom meeting in a scripted show. I don't know if you really want to be having those kinds of scenes. Right. Well, it just seems like a, there, it seems like there has to be a more interesting choice, right? That could have been made. Um, exactly. To present yeah. uh, these points of view rather than just, Let's gather everyone, uh, state your uh, your business in this episode in one sentence, and okay, now we can move on, right, to make sure we're all uh, clear on how everyone's feeling. And I, I, I think if, yeah, if the show had a little more focus, it would just, it would just have scenes with two characters where they, they have that. I mean, there's, there's a scene in the, again, in like the third act, right? It's like the main scene where Ian and Poppy have this moment where they kind of come together regarding regarding the shovel. They want it to be great because they care about the game and they find this common uh, ground on the fact that they both love what they do and they love this industry and they they love what they've created together. And that's that's the moment where I was like, yes, okay, this this is great. This is the type of stuff that I want throughout the rest of the show, right? Where um, it's it's scenes like that interspersed with like a lot of comedic moments. Instead, you get this really solid scene towards the end, and then it's undercut at at, at the the very end where when Ian you know, talks about the the success of the shovel. Uh, you know, the, the shovel ends up being like a, a pretty big hit. And, you know, he thanks, you know, he, of course, he doesn't give the credit to Poppy or thank Poppy. It's, uh, you know, kind of the self-congratulatory thing where it's, you know, he's back to where he was at the beginning of the episode. So we're kind of undoing any potential growth there, right? So, right, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I felt like the tone of that was so strange where like, Ian gets no comeuppance. He gets exactly what he wants, and he never feels bad, really, and he never gets punished. And Poppy never really, like, reacts. She's like, oh, that Ian, and just kind of smiles and rolls with it. Right, and I, I hate to keep bringing this up, but um, it is an easy, like, it, I guess it's a comparison because it's, you know, both in, like, the, an office space. But um, the office, like Michael Scott, right, who I would say would be the analog for Ian, right, is is that like he always ends up in a place where he's his actions end up with him being unsatisfied or in, in some way or learning something about himself in some way so even though he struggles with growth we can see the effects of his actions you know having being a detriment to him or um like helping him as a person like there's the the comedy of that is watching him struggle and watching him learn and realize his mistakes whereas the the whole like i'm the boss and i'm i'm kind of a a jerk but i'm ignorant to it all uh, i i don't think is a very interesting doesn't make for a very interesting character like i don't care about what happens to ian 
You know, yeah, even, and, and, whereas I care about what happens to Michael Scott, even when he screws up, I, I care about him because the show does a good job at, at making him feel like a real person. I mean, that's just, yeah, that's just kind of like punching up in general. Like you have your people in positions of power have faults and do screwy things that kind of undermine them. Like that's the Bluth family. That's Bojack Horseman. Though I understand in Bojack's case that it goes a little bit beyond this like goofy faults, but you you get what Mm -hmm. I'm saying. Right. And like Ian, I mean, we can see as the viewer, he's kind of a jerk, but like the show never in their universe doesn't really acknowledge that. Right. And it could be something, again, this is all based off of the pilot. So I'm sure there are, there might be someone listening to this that is like, Oh, you got to watch the, you know, you got to at least get to episode five and you start to see how it pivots or, or something. I don't know. I haven't, I've only watched the pilot, but I think if it's supposed to lay this groundwork, I don't think it fully succeeds in that. So, so I, I mean, and, and in addition to that, it, the the comedy isn't very strong. There isn't a lot of like snappy dialogue. It doesn't feel like there's a lot of uh, really in-depth humor regarding uh, the gaming industry. The only place where I feel like it succeeds is uh, with the character of Pootie Shoe, who I thought is pretty funny, who is uh, like a uh, parody of uh, like PewDiePie and those those gaming influencers and like how everything kind of hinges on this like 10 year olds reaction to the shovel. Um, so I, I, I really appreciated that kind of, that, uh, satire there. Um, but beyond that, I felt like a lot of the smaller jokes and smaller comedic moments just fell flat to me. And like, it's so funny because they, maybe they don't realize, but like they have a good grasp on the whole gaming industry and like the relationship between the gamer and the game maker. But they don't express that confidence in their jokes. Like the one that leaps out to me is like at the end, they're waiting to see if Pootie will give the new expansion a, a good review. And like after a bit where they have him do like a sponsored content moments, which that was pretty good. Mm-hmm. But then after that, he's like, I give it four buttholes and the room goes wild. Everyone's excited. Everyone's so happy. And then they have one character be like, wait, what does it mean when he says four buttholes? And then another character, I believe it was like Dana and Rachel. And then Rachel, who was played by Ashley Birch, was like, oh, that means it was a good review. Like, I think right. we could have all gathered that from what was going on. Come on. Yeah, no, it's 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 definitely this this thing of like, we we fear our audience isn't, isn't going to get it. Whereas I rather them just have uh, be a little bit snappier in how those jokes are being kind of thrown at us, right? To where... Um, by the time we have this joke about the, the four like buttholes or whatever, we're already on to the next joke, you know? So I, I think it needs to be a little bit uh, snappier with that, but you know, I, it's, I thought the performances were, were, were pretty solid. I didn't feel like anyone was doing like a bad job necessarily. Um, I just think, uh, it's, it's the, the, the plot of the whole thing and, um, how it, how it, uh, manages, uh, all those pieces um, is where it, it falls flat for me. So uh, not my favorite. I might give it another um, episode or two, uh, but but there's a lot of things to to watch. There's a lot of content out there. So I, I mean, this isn't too high for me on the priority list. Well, Brandon, I think that this is now as good a time as any to rate this episode officially under the. Uh, the official so many bits reviewing rubric 
So uh, we have three categories we use here, of course. They are accuracy, condescension, and entertainment. And just like with any video game, we rate on a scale of 6 to 10. So to start with, let's talk about accuracy. Brandon, with 6 being completely wildly inaccurate and 10 being lifelike accuracy, how would you rate Mythic Quest Raven's Banquet? Um, as to my basic knowledge of what the gaming industry is like, I, I think it, it rates pretty high in this category. Uh, again, I think these were the, the stronger things that we liked about the show overall. So I would have to give this more like a like an 8.5. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty positive as well. I would even go up to a 9. Like the, the funny thing is the parts that were inaccurate to me were what I am aware of from the gaming industry. Like the idea that Dana and Rachel, who are QA testers, would be anywhere near a very influential meeting on the company. is like, yeah, that would never happen in an actual game company, I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Next up, we have condescension. If you found this to be completely not condescending, give it a 6. If you found it to be extremely condescending, give it a 10. Um, I don't I don't think it was too condescending. I mean, there, there are, are some, for the sake of the humor, where it is, a, is purposely a little bit condescending or, again, more of a satire mode than, like, being condescending. Um, so I, I would give it uh, probably like a, a 6.5. I'm feeling the point. I'm feeling the point fives today. I think, like, it is kind of judgy on gamers, but, like, in a way that's totally valid and true. <laughs> so I can't be too hard on them for that. Still, uh, yeah, I think I have to go with, like, an eight to acknowledge that i mean even if they're being accurate they are saying gamers kind of suck at least when they're <laughs> talk, doing uh their pooty shoe discussion and finally entertainment if you found this episode to be completely unentertaining give it a six if you found it to be hilarious you fell out of your chair laughing and startled parker entertaining give it a 10 <laughs> i think i'm gonna give this a seven right uh i i think i gotta put it on the weaker side of the scale in terms of how I felt coming out of it. I, again, I wasn't, I wasn't bored throughout, but um, a lot of it felt like a little bit of a letdown. Yeah. I got to give it a seven as well. I mean, uh, it wasn't like barely a TV show like Bible man was, but it's pretty flat, pretty dull. And I would kind of need to hear some evidence to the contrary to get me to like actually go out of my way to watch it again, especially because I mean, Apple TV is like not easily accessible for me. You have to just pay that subscription. That's the only way. That concludes our screen watching segment, Brandon. So at this point, we'll be taking a break. And when I come back, I'll be talking with Jordi Asensio of .emu about Wind Jammers 2. We are back from break. Joining me on this palatial VoIP line in the middle of the internet is Jordi Asensio. Jordi is a game designer at .emu for Windjammers 2, and we're really glad to have him on the line with us. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you to you too. Jordi, I think many people are already familiar with the Windjammers franchise, but for anyone who just may be hearing about it for the first time right now, could you give a quick breakdown on what the game style of Windjammers 2 is? Well, uh, Windjammers, uh, it's basically Pong on steroids. It's a very simple uh, game where you have to throw the disc 
at your opponent and you have to uh, pass behind him to score points. The first game uh, on Neo Geo uh, brings a lot of um, energy to, to the genre with a special um, move, etc. So uh, with Windjammers 2, uh, almost 25 years later, we are trying to, um, to make the sequel of an already perfect game. So that's kind of hard, but uh, we, I think we are on the good track. Yeah, I think the, the story of Windjammers 2 does in part begin with the original Windjammers. It originally released in 1994. In 1994, in the United States, Pulp Fiction won the Academy Award for the Best Original Screenplay. I swear by All for One hit number one. And that was the first time anyone here had heard of flying power disc action. But I guess I was wondering, Jordi, had you ever played uh, Windjammers like back in the day as like an arcade cabinet or for a home Neo Geo? Yes, I remember uh, playing it for the first time uh, when I was on vacation. Uh, There was a a, a local arcade and uh, I remember uh, putting all my quarters in that game. Uh, that one in Samurai Showdown uh, 1 at the time. And uh, the game was so hard. I mean, uh, I uh, was um, always losing uh, uh, against the second opponent. I did not know how to make uh, the super move, etc. Because they only explain you the basics and you really have to uh, experience the game and play a, a lot more to, uh, to discover all the advanced moves. I have to admit that uh, one thing I always do even now with the super moves in the original Windjammers is when I get under the disc, I tap a button like crazy, even though I'm pretty sure that doesn't change anything. It just makes me feel better to get that I'm charging. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody uh, (laughs) was doing that. I mean, we we didn't know if it didn't change anything, but I I guess it was a a psychological, you know, at the time you have some uh, uh, some little uh, things you do because you think uh, it's working. So I think the story of Windjammers for many years was, you know, the, the lack of any ports or any sequels to the game, but the uh, the following for the game being kept strong by passionate fans. And I'm not terribly familiar with this myself, but I've heard tell of the competitive French scene for uh, the original Windjammers. Are are you familiar with that at all? I have taken part uh, in many tournaments. You did work on the the port for uh, Windjammers for PlayStation 4 and Vita and eventually uh, the Nintendo Switch. So I guess just what changed for .emu? How how were you able to... uh, get a hold of those rights well we just asked (laughs) Uh, um, part of our jobs is to think about uh, what are the great games that uh, are forgotten and uh, find who own the rights and just ask if we can uh, make a a sequel or maybe a a remake even though we we prefer to make sequel because uh, we think it's more interesting for example, for Windjammers, we uh, we try to uh, not uh, use pixel art to to do the graphics, uh, really to push the game further, and not just make a, a remake. So even though the the graphics aren't in pixel art, they still have that same sharpness and like that same two dimensional appearance to them like did you go through multiple designs for how the characters would look how the field would look or were you always still set on the 
uh, top-down, side-to-side field of play? Well, it's a, it's a top-down uh, game, so we didn't want to, uh, you know, we, we have to follow the, the same uh, DNA of the game, so uh, the, the view was pretty much fixed. But uh, we tried a lot of different art styles, even pixel art uh, at, at the time, uh, to see uh, how it shaped. And uh, we find that uh, style, the current style, be, uh, because it's the, the most dynamic and uh, it's close to uh, what New Geographics wanted to be at the time. They wanted, uh, you know, a very big uh, sprite, big uh, uh, special effects. Uh, so now um, uh, with HD graphics, it's uh, more expensive to make, but it was a, a challenge uh, we did. So just generally developing the game, there was a, a, a movement to kind of keep the core essence of Windjammers intact while still uh, innovating? Well, the game is uh, already perfect. It's perfectly uh, balanced. It works very well. So <laughs> it's hard to uh, add something without breaking uh, all the magic so the first thing uh, we did was to um, to get Windjammers 1 correct. So we retro-engineered the code. We disassembled the, the, the actual game to see how it really worked. And uh, we learned a lot of things. It was really interesting. So uh, to uh, replicate the physics from that time, because uh, now uh, with modern technology, you have a real-time physics. You apply force to the world, and uh, it reacts the way you want. At the time, all this uh, physics was uh, pre-rendered and put in numbers in the code. It was hard-coded. So uh, we uh, we uh, copy uh, we copied that uh, physics feeling. So it is exactly the same physics in Windjammers two uh, than uh, in Windjammers one. Can you talk a little bit more about how the the physics changed? Like, I, what are some of the consequences of having the physics calculated in real time versus having them already uh, stored in the game's code? Well, at, at the time, it was a. Uh, a performance issue. I mean, you you cannot. It's too complex to to calculate in real time. But does like having the the physics uh, stored like that does that cause a a gameplay difference? Like, just I, I can see how it wasn't possible before, but it is now. But like, so um, it feels more arcadey. Uh, you know, it's like uh, having an analog stick and uh, having a eight-way uh, controller. You you lose some uh, angles, but you you gain more easily understandable uh, situation, and so people can master all the, that. And if the physics was uh, more complex, there will be more and more and more situation and maybe people uh, will have a hard time to to find techniques to beat their opponents so sometimes simpler is better i did also want to ask a little bit about some things that have been added as part of uh, windjammers 2 Uh, you did mention that the game is perfect so i'm assuming that any of these additions are making the game perfecter So I, you know, I did fortunately get the chance to demo the game at uh, PAX East this year. Uh, so I saw one of the new moves that you offer is the drop shot. Uh, so like when the disc is coming in, you can kind of whack it so it just goes right over the net. And was that something you wanted to add like as a strategic 
uh, weapon for players for Windjammers too? Uh, uh, yes, uh, we really think what option wa- was missing from a strategic point of view. So we talked a lot with uh, the French community because uh, they are very strong at that. So we identified some problems like, um, for example, one problem is uh, when you know uh, where the disc is uh, coming and you are uh, already in position, you don't really have an advantage. Uh, you just have to wait for the disc and uh, make uh, make the move you want. With the drop shot and uh, the slap shot, when you hold the drop shot and release it uh, a few seconds later, it, it slaps the disc so hard that the disc increases speed. And the drop shot is a, a way to feint that move and to do an opposite uh, kind of move because it will just drop the, uh, just behind the net. So you have to guess and watch your opponent, uh, you know, closely. And also just like from the progression from Street Fighter to Super Street Fighter, now from Windjammers to Windjammers 2, you also have the inclusion of a super meter. Uh, so those allow for uh, super guard and super move. Was that also something that... Uh, fan base had requested it was uh, an idea that came from another problem when uh, all the points are the same in windjammers uh, it's like in tennis you you re- just reset the game and you play we wanted to add a, a long-term strategy so you can use your meter maybe early uh, earlier in the set or maybe uh, for the next round you just add a, a little more strategy. Have you been running like uh, playtest tournaments to get a sense for how the new mechanics were balanced? Yes, yes. We, we, we did a lot of testing uh, with that game and we um, it took time to find the right balance between all the moves because we have uh, the jump move too. So uh, it's a whole uh, a new dimension to exploit because you go toward uh, uh, the, the camera. Uh, I was really hoping uh, it, it worked. And uh, we, did, we, we did several playtesting with uh, these pro players. And the reception uh, was awesome because uh, they always uh, thought about uh, moves or uh, strategy. Uh, they can come up and they just play and play like uh, four, hour, uh, four hours uh, in, a, in a row. And we had to uh, tell them to go to, to their home. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get to see the jump move. Uh, I, I can kind of guess what it is, but can you tell me a little bit about how it works? So uh, like in Pong, uh, the disc just uh, stay on the playing plane. But sometimes when you do a toss move, it's like a little punch in front of you. You can uh, set the, the disc in here. And at this moment, uh, you can stay under the disc and uh, charge your super move. And you can also jump and catch uh, it into the air and throw it uh, on the ground uh, in the opponent field. And uh, like that, you can score points uh, on the ground and not at the end of the field. Those points would still be, it would still be two points for those though, right? So it will be two points in some arena and four points uh, in other arenas. So uh, Uh the jump is more powerful uh, in some uh, arenas. And uh, sometimes you have to, uh, you have to choose if you want more chance to score, but less point. And so the the way you play uh, in different arena is different. One other big change, of course, is that alongside the gameplay mechanics, the characters that you play as have changed. So there are some uh, carryovers, like I know uh, Hiromi 
is a carryover, but there are there are some new additions. Uh, how were those uh, new characters conceived? Were there any like gaps in the roster that you were looking to fill? At the beginning, our main artist, uh, Simon Perrin, was uh, drawing a lot of characters. He really find uh, some cool characters. Uh, I'm sad that they are not in the game, but you know, you have to make some choice at some point. So he drew, he drew uh, like uh, 30 or 40 characters. And then we just look at them and, uh, and see who is cool and uh, what gameplay uh, we can uh, can make on the character. So uh, one thing we did was, for example, um, have, have uh, new body types uh, because uh, there was a uh, big, uh, medium, and uh, light characters. So now we have a very big character who is a, a wrestler. Uh, uh, his name is uh, Hurricane Max. He's very big on the screen, but very slow. And we have a, a super light character, uh, who is really fast, but uh, get uh, gets pushed a lot uh, by the disc. Have we seen that uh, very light character yet? Uh, I think yes. Uh, it's his name is uh, R- R- Raposa, I think. Oh, Raposa. Jay Raposa. Okay. Well, a, a fun th- thing is uh, Raposa is fox in Brazilian because um, one of the character, uh, uh, the first Windjammers was to be with animals. And one of the characters uh, was a fox. It's a, it's a, light, uh, it's a clin d'oeil uh, at that uh, older design document we had. Oh, okay. I, I didn't realize that. Awesome. We had documents sent to us from the original uh, development team from, uh, from long ago, from uh, the uh, 90s. And uh, they gave us uh, original uh, design documents. So uh, there was to be a sequel but uh, it never happened. Have you had much contact with that team or anyone from that team? Yes, yes. As a matter of fact, we uh, we were we've worked with the original composer, so he made uh, several tracks from uh, for for our game. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, uh, glad to see that there is a continuity across the two games. I'm actually kind of amazed that you were able to get in touch with the people that worked on the game from back then and still collaborate like that. Yes, we we've tracked them down uh, actually because now uh, the uh, the old company that uh, did the game doesn't exist uh, anymore. It's uh, Data East. So uh, from uh, from the music composer, uh, he gathered everywhere everyone from uh, that game. And uh, he, he showed uh, show them uh, the game. They were very happy. I can't think of a uh, better endorsement. Oh, yes, yes. It's a, a thing we do at Dotimu. We really want to respect the, the original material. It's uh, really important to stay away from any uh, modern trends that can hurt the game. It's so easy to make the wrong sequel. So uh, the, 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 the hard uh, thing is to uh, refrain yourself to, to do uh, whatever you want. Jordi, I do have a few final questions before I let you go. Yes. Uh, so first one is, of course, in the original game, you can, you can throw a Frisbee to a dog and the dog will catch it. Now, recently, there is a lot more interest in petting dogs. Uh, is there an option to pet that dog? In that we we thought a lot about the dog. The dog was very important uh, for us uh, during the development. I can't say much about right now because I don't know uh, if I can say things about it because it's not revealed yet. Well, okay, okay, we'll leave that as a 
as a surprise for uh, later. My next question is WWE uh, wrestler Xavier Woods slash uh, Austin Creed has talked a lot about his love for wind jammers uh, on social media. Is there anyone out there that you were really surprised or really happy to discover was a wind jammers fan? Well, obviously, uh, Xavier Woods is a surprise. Uh, he's so passionate about the game. <laughs> It's just uh, incredible. But no, you know, uh, there is no specific. Uh, it's just a surprise um, that uh, at every event, we just uh, let people play and they have uh, instant fun. And that's why uh, we do that job. I had an interesting interaction actually at PAX where, you know, I went to one of the demo units and someone walked up and we were playing and... I've, I've played a little bit, so I knew some stuff. And he's like, oh, you've played the game before. And I was like, yes. And he's like, oh, I played Disc Jam. And you, you probably know about Disc Jam. It was kind of another Frisbee game, but with like a top-down uh, forward-to-back perspective. And so I just thought it was fascinating that there's a game based on the idea of Windjammers that's now looping around to bring someone back into the new Windjammers. Well, obviously, people were hungry for uh, new windjammers because they, uh, along the year, there was uh, several clones. But like I told you, it's a very hard, uh, very well-crafted game. So it's kind of hard to, to do a new windjammers, but people were trying to make it and uh, because they, they wanted to play windjammers again. And Jordi, my, my last question is sort of a three-part question. So I feel like among all gamers and game makers, there's a familiarity with Pokemon, where either you played the Game Boy games or you watched the cartoon or you've played Pokemon Go. Uh, so with that all in mind, could you please name a Pokemon that you would like to have as a pet, a Pokemon you would like to be, and a Pokemon you would like to eat? Whoa. I remember playing the original Pokemon and then the, in uh, the Game Boy Advance version, but I, uh, I I don't remember any enough uh, Pokemon uh, names to uh, have an, uh, a pertinent uh, answer. Maybe I want to eat them all. <laughs> Is there uh, one that maybe you can describe for me that you would like as a pet, and I can. Uh... Probably give you the name. I, I have. I like big. Uh, I it, the name are very different in France because they like um, they uh, their names are puns uh, on words. So uh, for example, uh, the big dragon is Dracofeu. I don't know the name in uh, English. You know the small dragon that evolves into a bigger dragon. So there's in English there's Dragonite, and it starts out as like kind of a little snake thing. But you might be thinking of a different one. The the first is very cute, and uh, I remember in the show it's very cute. They love them, and when it evolves in a bigger dragon, it's like doing whatever he wants. It's so annoying. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Yes, that's Charmander. Yeah, in English that's known as Charmander. Ah, yeah, Salamander, or maybe something around. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll say that your pet would be Charmander. He's he is a very cute Pokemon. Yes. <laughs> Well, I want a bigger one as my pet, so he can, you know, defend me in the street. Charizard, then. Yes, a big one. All right. Well, in that case, Jordi, thank you very much for your time. If people want to get updates on Windjammers 2, Streets of Rage 4, which is also being made by .emu, 
and uh, any other projects you might have in the works? Uh, where can they get? Well, they they should uh, follow us on Twitter at uh, .mu. All right, excellent. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. And we are back from break. One more time, big thank you to Jordy. Uh, Windjammers too, I'm really hyped for it. I'm hoping to see it this year, fingers crossed. Uh, Brandon, I want to thank you one more time for coming on to talk about Mythic Quest Raven's Banquet with me. Uh, If you want people to find you anywhere, either in person or online or wherever, where can they find you? Well, thank you, Bill. It's always a pleasure to come on here. Uh, People can find me on Twitter at B-E-E-Shock. Excellent. And as for us, we can be reached by email at so many bits podcast at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook, we're so many bits on there. Follow us on Twitter and Tumblr at so many bits. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Please rate and review or download from Simplecast or stream via Spotify. We play games, twitch.tv slash so many bits Wednesday and Thursday nights, 8 p.m. Central Time. Brandon has been a frequent guest. Uh, we've played A Way Out. We've played. The Dark Pictures, Man of Dawn. Recently, we were playing together Castle Crashers, so feel free to check all of that out. If you want to listen to a bunch of other great nerdy podcasts, So Many Bits is hosted on nerdalogs.com alongside them. And last but not least, thank you very much for listening. Have a great summer.